You are listening to City Church Manchester. We are a church that invites everyone to enjoy Christ for the glory of God. If we can serve you in any way, then visit our website at citychurchmanchester.org to find out more. If you could now turn turn to your Bibles, we're going to read uh, the Bible reading for today. It's Luke chapter 18, verses 18 to 30. If you have a church Bible, that is on page 1052. Luke chapter 18, starting at verse 18. A certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus replied, What is impossible with man is possible with God. Peter said to him, We have left all we had to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus said to them, No one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. Thanks, Chris, um, and thanks for reading. Um, Want to keep your Bibles open? We'll keep coming back to this passage, but let me pray for us, and then we'll get right into this. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for this passage and for the challenge that it is as we hear of how stuck we are, how impossible it is for us to save ourselves, how we can do nothing to impress you. And yet, Lord, we pray as we look at this passage, it would encourage us to see that the impossible is made possible through you, that you have loved us with a love that is steadfast and unconditional. And we pray that it would warm our hearts and cause us to love you as we look at your word now. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, let me start by asking you a trick question. (coughs) Pardon me. What treasure are you hunting for? What treasure are you hunting for? I know, I know you're not pirates, and this is a church, not a pirate ship. But that is essentially the question that's going on again and again through this whole chapter of Luke Luke 18. It is people looking for treasure, people looking for their biggest goals in life, people looking for the things that they really want. See, at the beginning of this chapter, a woman with a persistent, determined focus searching for justice. We see a criminal, a national terrorist, overcome with guilt, and hunting for forgiveness. And we see little kids who have no concept of appropriate behavior, who can rub all sorts of things on their hands and run up to Jesus and look for acceptance and a cuddle. And then right here in this passage, we see a rich young man 
who looks like he's got everything in his life that he could possibly want, look for eternal life, but turn away sad because he won't give up money. Now, before we read that and go, silly rich young man, what are you up to? Really, come on, like, you've, got to, you've got to do better in life. Let's not be like the Pharisees judging the tax collector in verse 18. Let's just be honest for a moment and think, do we do the same thing? Do we think that um, we have some treasures in our lives? What are we hunting for? That we value, that we want more than anything else, that we think will bring us joy, bring us hope, be an ultimate thing. Let me confess to you and be honest that I often find myself searching for treasure and quite often it is not the Lord that I love above all things. I find myself being drawn to other things. In fact, just like this rich young ruler, often I find myself believing that money will help me. Money will fix my problems. Money will give, make my life easier. Let me give you a little example from my life. Um, I am ethnically Chinese with a Vietnamese surname, Duong. Uh, my dad was from Vietnam and came over to the UK as a sort of um, refugee, and my mum came from Hong Kong as a poor rural worker, and they, they met in London, got married, and moved over to Sheffield to be part of a church over there. Um, but they were so poor, they had no money at all, and so when they had me, the church came in and helped. They had the equivalent of a hardship fund, and they had hand-me-down clothes that they gave to uh, my, my parents, and to me, I wore girls' clothes for the first two years of my life. Embarrassing, I know, but that was all that was available for me at that time. And, and, and whilst it was um, tough, I remember thinking, wow, I, I'm really loved by my parents. I'm really loved by this church family. And, and not often did I go, oh, I, this, is, this is something that I, I, I wish was different. Except for the fact that often, as a kid, I'd wish I could have sets of Lego. That was the big thing. All the other kids would have like Lego that they could piece together, but the really rich kids, the cool kids, they'd have those Lego sets with you know, the captain for, for the swimming, or you know, an underwater sea diver, or a pirate. You know, they would have the good sets, and I'd always want to go play with them, and they'd be like, you can't play with us, you haven't got a set. So I'd have to just sit on the side. And I wouldn't ask my mum or dad for one of those Lego sets because I knew that they couldn't afford it, so I didn't make a big deal of it. Till one Christmas, my auntie Amy, who was a teenager, she'd also come over from Vietnam, um, said to me, Eric, my boyfriend and I have got part-time jobs and we're going to save up. And this Christmas, you're going to get a Lego set. <laughs> I was so excited. I could not wait till Christmas. The day finally comes. We travel down to London. I see our family and we're all there together and I'm so excited. This is it. This is going to make me cool. I'm going to have friends. At, at, when I go back home, everyone's going to think my set is amazing. And then Auntie Amy hands me this set of Duplo. It's not cool enough, it's not really Lego, it's Duplo, but you know, she, she, she's, she's worked for it. I'm, I'm gonna be grateful. She hands it over to me, I'm beaming with excitement, really, really full and thrilled, and my dad turns to me and just says, say thank you. And before I say thank you, Auntie Amy just goes, oh, my boyfriend and I um, built it all for you so you could see how it'd be set up. Um, and we didn't really done Lego before, so we were worried it would break, so we've super glued all the bits together so they won't ever break and you can't pull them apart. And I'm there, holding it, trying to pull it apart, and my face just drops. My world's crushed, and I cry, and then, and then I, I'm, I'm really upset. And my dad realizes that I'm not going to say thank you, so he takes me outside, and I, and I get disciplined. Um, that, that Christmas, I did not get the Lego that I dreamed of, I got disappointment and the smacked bottom. Um, it was not something that I hoped for. And actually, I remember later on, on the drive back home, thinking, I wish I had money. 
I wish I had money enough to be able to buy just an, a Lego set that wasn't rubbish so that my friends, in, well, the people that I want to be friends with at school would think that I'm cool and, I, and, and, then I, and then I won't be so alone when I'm at school. I wish I had enough money but my parents didn't have to work in the evening and then they could play with me. I wish I had enough money so that my Auntie Amy didn't have to always just think about getting jobs and she could actually just get on with her life and enjoy things. She's, she's quite young. I wish I had money. This would fix all the problems in my life. Isn't that a logical thing to think? Isn't that something that we're tempted to believe? I mean, right now, we're in a cost of living crisis. Inflation is rising. Bills, petrol, and food is more expensive than ever. Our economy tanked two weeks ago. And we are in a situation where we are counting our pennies, and we are thinking, yeah, perhaps if I just had a bit more money, that would fix my problems. That would give me access. That would make things more easy. I mean, isn't that what we do in terms of our actions? It proves that we value money highly. Perhaps, ultimately, uh, we might be part of unions which are um, striking to try to make sure that we are paid a fair wage. You might find yourself um, working hard at your job, looking for different job interviews, brushing up on your interview technique, looking at CVs, making sure your kids get a good education. Why? Because you value money. And there's nothing wrong with valuing it, but here we see that thinking it's ultimate is dangerous. In fact, what we see here is that a rich young ruler who looks like he's got everything cannot, with money, access the kingdom of God. That is not what money can give you. It will not get you to heaven, and it will not get you to be with God forever. But what we see is actually that he turns around sad and disappointed, and we can see that we would probably struggle with something very, very similar. Everyone, everyone is hunting for something that they value. Everyone is hunting for treasure. Maybe for you it is money and access and things working out. Maybe it is respect. Maybe it is acceptance from other people. That's what I was looking for as, as a five-year-old. Maybe it's, 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 um, it's a relationship and the things that you want to. Let me ask you again, what is the treasure that you're hunting for? Have a think about that and we'll come back to seeing that. Because that's our first point that we see in this passage, is everyone is hunting for treasure. You see that, right? At the beginning of verse 18, this is a rich, young ruler. This is a guy who looks like he has everything in life, and yet he comes to Jesus looking for more, looking for eternal life. He's inherited significant wealth. Verse 23 says that he's wealthy. The accounts in Matthew and Mark tell us he's young, Verse 18 tells us that he's a ruler, probably a synagogue leader like Jairus in Luke chapter 8, verse 41, or a leader of the Sanhedrin. Point being, this guy isn't just someone who's inherited a lot of wealth. He's respected by his peers. He's somebody upstanding in the community. He'd be somebody that if he came to this church, would be like, what insightful questions you ask. And what a great jawline as well. Very impressive, very, very, very good. He, he looks like someone who is very, very impressive. And you can almost feel it, can't you? That the disciples would say, Jesus, don't mess this up. This is the type of follower we want. This could lead to good opportunities for us. Maybe, just like him, we're hunting for different treasure. Maybe for you, it's not eternal life you're looking for. To hold on to wealth is what you're looking for. Maybe for you, it's, it's, it's a relationship. To find the right person that you would be in with. To find somebody who would uh, make you feel comfortable and, and, and just welcome you and accept you and build you up in the ways that, you're, that you really want. I know a lot of us um, in this room, and especially in 630, 
um, um, are on dating websites, particularly some Christian dating websites. I hear one of them's called Salt. Do with me a little thought experiment for a second. Let's just imagine that this rich young ruler is on a dating website. Let's call him, I don't know, Malachi, a, 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 a good Jewish name. He's, he's quite impressive, isn't he? I mean, you know, he's got a great smile, but he's also young, rich, and he's, Mark, Matthew and Luke tell us, Matthew and Mark tell us, he's humble. He falls at Jesus' feet to seek eternal life. I mean, this is a guy who is as rich as Elon Musk, as influential as David Beckham, as young as, I don't know who's young, Justin Bieber, is he young still? So he's rich as somebody who's young. He's really impressive. And you'd probably be looking at that, that profile going, wow, wow, he, he looks cool. He looks impressive. This is probably not one to skip past or ignore. But what we see actually from Jesus' response is that the perfect profile, the perfect externals, things that look incredibly impressive are not necessarily all true. The perfect profile, the dating profile, may not be honest. The guy who looks brilliant may not be who he says he is. In fact, for all of his amazing work, this rich young ruler is deceived. He is looking in the wrong place. And the question for me, for you to, act, to be asked is, are you as well? Do you see the response that Jesus has to him? The rich young ruler goes to Jesus in verse 19 and says, good teacher, as if to suggest he thinks he's human, but good too, perhaps perfect. And Jesus challenges him by saying that no one is good. This isn't Jesus saying he's not God. Jesus very clearly throughout, the path, throughout Luke says that he is the son of man. But he's saying, why are you calling me good? Why are you saying that somebody you think is a human is, is God as well? And actually the rich young ruler asks, how can he inherit eternal life? And Jesus' response is, obey all the commandments. So the rich young ruler says, I've done all of that. And then Jesus says, sell all of your stuff and come follow me. Again, what's going on here? This is really, really weird, isn't it? Throughout Luke 18, all we've seen is that Jesus is saying, come to me and you can have eternal life. Children can reach out their arms and they'll get uh, to be with God. Those who um, seek justice will get them. The worst of the worst criminals, if they plead for mercy, can have it. And then here, he's going, obey all the commandments and sell everything while you're at it. Is Jesus just being a bit grumpy here? Did he not have his morning caffeine? Is he, is he just not, you know, being a bit inconsistent? What is going on? I mean, just again, do for me another thought experiment. Say, say some people came in asking about eternal life, wanting to do a seeker course. We run a couple of those, Alpha, Life Explored, Christianity Explored. Say Jack and Lorianne were hosting that course upstairs. They give great food. They talk about Christianity there. Could you imagine if they did something like this, what Jesus did? So someone goes, how do I become a Christian? How do I inherit eternal life? And they just looked at the guy and just went, obey everything that's in the book. Oh, you have, have you? Sell everything. See you next week. I mean, I'd probably be like, can we have a, can we, can we have a conversation, Jack? Come on, Lorianne, let's just, let's just talk about how we do this whole seeker course thing and get people involved. It doesn't seem like the thing you would do if you wanted somebody to think about eternal life, to think about the gospel, isn't it? I mean, don't you kind of want to say to him, Jesus, like, like, share about repentance here and about wanting to trust God and, and, and how it's free and how you can enjoy God forever. But Jesus here is so, so wise. He exposes this rich young ruler's false treasures. Jesus hasn't forgotten the gospel. He's just explained it in verse 17. But what he's doing here is he's pointing out that this man's ultimate treasure is his achievements and his money. In John chapter 4, with a woman in the well, 
he points out that their, her ultimate treasure is the acceptance of other men. And here, he tells the rich young ruler, sell everything you've got, come follow me, give up that which you value most, and then you'll be able to follow me, and then you will love me in a way that is helpful and, and fruitful. I mean, what's this showing? It's showing that all of us search for treasures, but that false treasures will always disappoint us. False treasures like money, if we really put them ultimate, will disappoint us. I, I want to be careful here. I want to be clear. The treasures that you're thinking about, that you're looking for, that you're hunting for, not all of them are bad. If you want to have enough money to be able to do some things in life and have a healthy family and to be able to give generously, that's a good thing. If you want to be in a relationship, it's not a bad thing at all. If you want to be somebody that others are respecting so that you can do good, that is a great thing. But they're all terrible gods. You, you see that, right? Jesus challenges money here, but Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they're all really rich. David, Solomon, Job, crazy rich. All of them were saved. Zacchaeus, in a couple of chapters, gives away half of his wealth. Not all of it, half of it. And Jesus says salvation has come to this place here today. So the point is not we have to do something. We have to give away all of our money. We need to all start becoming poor here at City Church. But rather, what is it that you value more than God? What is it that you think is ultimate? What is your greatest treasure? Because if it isn't Jesus, if it isn't God, then it's going to disappoint you. And you're going to really start to be struggling and feel sad about it. I mean, this is what our, uh, one of the great theologians, Jonathan Edwards, pointed out when he would teach, and he said, whatever you idolize, you will eventually demonize. Meaning, if you put anything ultimate, you can have a treasure, but if it's more important than anything in the world to you, it'll disappoint you. Which is why sometimes when we do baby Thanksgivings, we ask you, if you, if you do a Thanksgiving, will you commit to not making your child an idol? Because something even as wonderful as beautiful as a child, can be something that you make ultimate. And it's a beautiful, wonderful gift. It's a terrible, terrible God. Same with money. And it's not just um, Christians that point this out. David Foster Wallace, who is not a Christian, has said this. He said, here's something that's weird but true. In the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there's actually no such thing as atheism. There's no such thing as not worshipping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. If you worship sexual allure, you will always feel ugly. And when the time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally plant you. It's not just theologians and thinkers which prove that we get disappointed. Cristiano Ronaldo, one of the greatest footballers around, shows it recently as well. He has known Cristiano Ronaldo for his incredible work ethic, that he perfects and focuses on anything. If you asked him what his treasure was, it would be being the greatest footballer. He works, he works, he works, he works again. Messi might be incredibly talented. Ronaldo is a hard, hard worker. Recently, he was in an interview, and he said this about his life. Being myself is boring. When it starts, it's cool. You're famous, you're a fantastic player, you win trophies, you score goals, you're on the front pages of newspaper and television. But after years, you look at your life differently. I've got a girlfriend, I've got kids, and I want privacy, but there is no privacy anymore. My privacy is gone. If I had a chance now, I would pay to get my privacy back. People are like, ah, yeah, but you're famous, you're rich, you have money, you have cars, you have houses. But this isn't all, believe me, being famous is not that good. Do you know how many times I get to go to the park with my kids over the past two years? Zero. If I go, a lot of people will come suddenly, and the kids will be nervous. 
I'll be nervous. My girlfriend will be nervous. I can't go to the bar, my bar, any bars with my friends because I know that they'll be uncomfortable with me there. So I avoid doing all these things because people around me will be disappointed. It's tempting, isn't it? To look at other people and go, wow, what wonderful treasures they could have. And yet everybody, if they pursue anything other than God, will find themselves bitterly disappointed and let down. Our false treasures will disappoint us. What's worse, actually, we see in this passage, is false treasures won't just disappoint you. They'll pull you away from God. That's what we see in verse 24, right? Jesus makes a funny joke telling us that it's impossible for wealthy people to enter the kingdom of God. It's like a camel passing through the eye of a needle. Now, I know, I know that you live in Manchester, and if I ask you, what do you know about a camel? You're going to go, nah. I can tell you it's about flat whites, but I don't even know how big a camel is. So let me help you. Um, this is a camel, um, and it's pretty big, isn't it? Um, some of my pastor friends always say, City Church is so inventive with its ideas. I think the cardboard really shows that, doesn't it? But let's just say this is the size of a camel, and let's just say this is the size of a needle. And the point that Jesus is saying is, this won't fit in this. I mean, it's fairly simple. It's quite funny as well, isn't it? It's fairly obvious. Like, can you get that in here? No. I mean, I tried this this week. I just turned to Calvin, my five-year-old, and went, can we fit that in here? And his response was, Daddy, you're not very clever, are you? No. I mean, but, but we, don't we do that with, with, with trying to be impressive? We go, if, if I just serve God in these ways, I could, I could do it over here? No. Or how about if I read my Bible every single day and I'm really, really become, you know, really focused? Maybe it'll fit. No. Or, or maybe, maybe if I pray in such a way where I really wrinkle my, 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 my forehead so I'm really focused on wanting an Asian God. No. It's just not possible. You can't fit it in. It doesn't work. I know it sounds silly, but isn't it something that we do from all the time? We try to impress others. But the point is, everybody, everybody is in trouble. Do you see that in verse 25 as well? It doesn't say just that wealthy people can't do this. It says camel, eye, needle. But then actually, the kingdom of God can't be inherited by man. All men. Not wealthy men. All men. Meaning that all of us are in trouble because all of our idols pull us away from God. And so we can't enter the kingdom of God, which is why in verse 28, the disciples start to get a bit nervous. They start to get a bit scared, right? Disciples are going, I'm, they, they don't go, oh, cool, let's, let's go for lunch, Jesus. Sorted. They, they, they start to get worried and go, we, just so you know, we've, we've sold everything to follow you. We've, we, we've given up everything. Do you not know how much I value you, how much I want to be with you, how much I want to follow you? But, but let's just be honest for a second here and think about it. It's not long after this that one of the disciples betrays Jesus for 30 pieces of silver and turns his back on Christianity forever to have our Lord and Savior killed. You just don't know. And I think one of the dangers that we can have city church is we can be in a church like this, look like we are trying to follow God with all of our minds, hearts, and souls, try to pay, put all of our energy and effort into impressing other people around us. And the question really is, do you love the Lord more than anything else? Because if you don't, then it really is trying to fit that through here. It's impossible. It's just not possible. And it becomes really scary for us, doesn't it? Because it makes us realize how little we can do to enter the kingdom of God. We are stuck, all of us, because we pursue false idols and they lie to us on a daily basis. But there's comfort to be found here. 
because it tells us that this is impossible, but because of what Jesus has done, camels can fit into, this, into needles. Because of what God has done, the impossible is possible. His word tells us that. Point number three, Jesus gives us true treasure. Do you see here, Jesus is the perfect example. There's a rich young ruler here wanting to follow God, but unable to give up his other idols around him, so he leaves disappointed. But there's also a better, better, truer rich young ruler. Jesus is only 31, 32 here. He's come from heaven knowing countless wonderful wealth, and when he looks at this rich young ruler, Matthew and Mark tell us that he loves him. Hard, challenging words about selling everything that you have, that you do not match up to the standard of God, but he does so with love for this rich young ruler, which suggests also that when that, that guy leaves sad and disappointed, that our Lord and Savior is just as sad and disappointed, probably more so, because he's unable to give up his idols. And yet, Jesus is able to say, I, I've given up so much for you. Jesus knows pain and sacrifice. He knows what it's like to feel limited and tempted to think that money will solve our problems. He knows uh, greater poverty than we'll ever know because of the pain of having his friends backstab and desert him. He knows the pain of a government labeling him a traitor, stripping him of all prestige and dignity and leaving him to die on a cross. Jesus gives his money away for us. He gives his access and his power away to the poor, to us. He gives us his blood. And if you've served in church for a while, if you've given a lot to follow God, if you give generously of your finances, notice that Jesus did not tithe his blood. He didn't give 10%. He gave it all for us. Would you, again, just see the kindness, the goodness, the care and the love of our rich young ruler who looks at us and goes, you are lost. I know you are. You are in just as much trouble as this rich young ruler, and I love you, and I will give everything for you. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9 tells us, Our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, yet for your sake became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. If you look at Jesus like this, then all of your other treasures that you have, still important, pale in significance. They're just... They're just not as important as this. You start to see God as more valuable than anything else, and you want to worship him and follow him because he is good. The impossible is possible. It's just not possible by us. We cannot work and make this happen. We can't fit it in. But our God, who has achieved everything and who loves us, he can. And so it's worth us staring at our rich young ruler, staring at his commitment and his love to us until our hearts are melted and we respond in wanting to worship him. And, and enjoy him forever. A bit of feedback that um, we've got in the past few weeks is as we've gone through the Luke 18, it's again and again and again about how we can access God, how we can come to him, how he loves us, how we can delight in him, how we can know repentance. And, and one of the questions is, okay, well then, how do we deal with this practically? Well, let me talk about some practicalities. Let me talk some practicalities about the dangers and particularly why money is a particular danger as well for us as an idol that can draw us away from God. It's not to say that being rich is a bad thing. We've already covered that. There's a load of people in the Bible who are rich. But, but money is dangerous, and it's dangerous for two particular reasons. 
Number one, money ties itself to your heart in a unique way. Matthew chapter 6, verse 21 tells us that Jesus tells us money is linked to our hearts. He says that's where your heart is, that's where your treasure will be as well. I just want you to know he doesn't do that with sex. He doesn't do that with fame. He doesn't do that with power. It's if to say that that will grip your heart, money, more than anything else. And it's just really helpful for us to know that that is a bit of a danger. And you need to know that practically on that one, we spend loads of time doing accountability to, to do with dealing with purity. Loads of time talking about how we can follow God and delight in him in one-to-ones. It is a good and healthy thing for you to chat with people around you that you love, that you trust about your budgets. Because it's very easy for us to find our hearts tied to our money. But danger number two is money takes you away from depending on Jesus. Proverbs chapter 30 verses 8 to 9 says, Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Tim Keller's very helpful here. He quotes Bernard of Clairvaux. I don't know if that's how you say it. Is that the French way of saying it? Let's go. Confidence. Clairvaux. Let's go with it. Um, but he says this. If you're a world, uh, to see a man humble under prosperity is the greatest rarity in the world. To see a man humble under prosperity is the greatest rarity in the world. See, money draws you away from God really, really easily. If you're a world leader in physics, you probably don't think you know everything there is to know about relationships. And if you are one of the greatest doctors around, you don't think you know everything that there is to do with DIY. But if you have lots of money, if you have worked hard and you've made things work, then you start to get more impatient and you go, I can fix this. Come on, why don't you just try harder like me? Why don't you just do this better? This is the standard that we're at. Would you come, follow? This is how we get things done. And before you know it, you are not being kind and generous, humble and wanting good for people. You are pulled away from God. You're pulled away from even thinking you need a savior. Do you notice that's what Jesus does here? He challenges the rich young ruler on his need for a savior. He doesn't say, you need to be saved. He says, you think you have done everything right in life. You think you've earned all of this stuff. Give it up, and then you can follow me. Again, to show that these things draw us away from God. So if these are our two dangers, how can we live in a way that puts in repentance, that puts Christ first, that loves him? Well, number one is assume you've got blind spots. Turn away from false treasures. Do you see that in verse 24? It's like a punch in the mouth. Jesus stares at the rich young ruler, and then challenges him. It's almost like, metaphorically, the rich young ruler is going, I've got everything in life, I've got everything sorted, and Jesus just gives him a slap to almost just go, wake up. Do you know, like, I don't know if you've ever done this, but if you've got, this happened to me in uni, if you've got drunk friends, one of the best ways to get them to stop being terrible at life is just go, get a hold of yourself, please. Um, and it's, it's just something you do if they're not sorted. So if they're doing something dangerous, that's what you do. If someone is running away into danger, you shake them out of that danger. And that's what Jesus is doing here. He's looking at this rich young ruler and he's going, you've got a blind spot. So he stares at him intently and goes, give all this stuff away. Would you first off assume that you have blind spots, things that you value above everything else? Point number two, would you look at the generosity of Jesus? Again, think about how he is the rich young ruler who has given away everything for us. And then number three, would you consider responding in action? I've said before that there's a danger that we don't want to talk about finances. 
because, because they're tied to our hearts. But also because we're, can I be honest, we're British. So we're like, oh, I don't talk about that stuff. It's icky. But, but God's just told us that it's tied to our hearts in a way that's unhealthy. So hear me. I'm not, as the pastor, saying, tell me about it, and we'll talk about how much you should give. No, no, no. I'm not saying that. I'm saying talk with your connect groups. Talk with the people around you. Talk with those that you love and trust and say, does this budget look like I'm being somebody who loves money or loves my Lord? Is this something that shows that I'm trying to be sacrificial and share and be generous? Talk with those people around you who you trust that God has given you and go, you know, how much can I give to those around me, to, to things like Coffee for Craig, to, to missionaries, to our local church, to the different things around me, so that I might be able to model sacrificial love for God as well. And when it feels like it's something that's tough, that's probably about the right amount. But please, again, hear me. I'm not saying do that with me. Do that with the people around you and chat it through. The worst thing that we can do is just sit there and not talk about it. We see the danger of that when we talk about, say, something like purity. It's the same for money, if not more so. Let me encourage you. Assume you've got blind spots. Look at the gentleness and wonderfulness of God and then share with other people. You might even think, I'm not really that good at budgeting. We don't get life lessons in budgeting at school. You're probably better than the other people around you and they've got a bucket load to learn from you. Please, would you do that and consider doing that in your connect groups? But let me finish with this. All of this, our actions that we're supposed to do, are to help us see God's goodness, to delight in him, and to love him. This entire chapter is about people crying out to God and him responding. Ralph preached about Luke chapter 8, verses 1 to 8. A woman cries out for justice. God responds. Verses 9 to 14, Brent preached about how a tax collector gets forgiveness and redemption, God responds. Matt preached last week about how children are welcomed to God. And here we see that if we value anything more than God, he is still somebody who looks at us with love in his eyes and is calling us, turn away from those things and come love me, come trust in me. I am the ultimate treasure that is there for you. And if you would do that, you will find life to the fullest. These things are logical. I asked you at the beginning, what treasures are you hunting for? It's right for you to want good things in your life. It's just, if you want them more than God, they will hurt you. They will disappoint you. And for our sake, for our flourishing, and for us to point to God as being more valuable than anything else, it's right for us to turn away from them, to point towards him and say, do you see how good he is? Look at how much he's given for us. Look at how much he loves us. Isn't he good? Isn't he kind? Shouldn't we respond? Let me pray. Why don't we stand while I pray? Father, we confess that we have other treasures in our hearts. We value other things more than you, and we get drawn away from you on a regular basis. Some of us even right here are questioning whether you are worth it. And yet, God, in that, you look at us, not with a demand of try harder, not with a demand of sort yourself out, not with a demand of clean yourself up. You look at us with love in your eyes, just like you had for the rich young ruler, and you call us not to walk away sad and disappointed. You call us to walk back to you, to repent, to trust in you. And Lord, we pray that as we take these elements, you'd remind us again of your sacrifice, your love for us, how you cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That you have been forsaken for our sake. You lost access for the sake of us. We thank you so much for that. 
And we pray that we'd respond now. It's in your name we pray.